Hey guys, my name is Karina Maynard and you're listening to Murder in the Mountains. This podcast is all about some of my favorite topics such as murder, mystery, and of course the paranormal because I am a sucker for a good ghost story. Does that make me weird? Yeah, maybe. But if you're listening, then you are probably just as weird as I am. This is my very first episode on my very first podcast, and I'm so super excited to take you along on this journey with me. Now, I would be lying if I said that this was not difficult. It was way more difficult than I thought when it comes to the technicalities of putting it together and trying to record and edit and research. It was pretty tough, but I made it through. And I just have to remind myself that this is for fun. And, I mean, that's that's really it. It's just a hobby. So it doesn't have to be perfect. But I started listening to podcasts in my car on the way to and from work a few years ago. And it just got me hooked. So I decided to start my own. Maybe now you can listen to me on your way to work. I felt like maybe I should put a trigger warning here just because this story talks about hanging or lynching. So be advised. I live in a small town in southern West Virginia, so I thought I would start us off with a pretty gnarly murder tale that took place right here in my home state. This is the story of one of West Virginia's most infamous criminals, as well as one of the United States' first notable serial killers, Harry Powers. Harry was born in Holland on November 17, 1893. Scorpio, so no wonder he's a little evil, as Harm Drenth. Now, as he grew up, people would describe him as a liar, a thief. He trespassed hard on the liquor drinks, if you know what I'm saying. Just some minor things for now that people were pissed off over. I couldn't find much info about his childhood except for that he hated school and so he often played hooky. He just, he didn't go. He was smart but unmanageable. It's thought that he may have graduated high school but I'm not sure where from and I couldn't find any documentation stating that he did. His dad said that from infancy he was rough to handle. Once he was older, he had gotten into a physical altercation with his mother, which just pushed his dad over the fucking edge. His parents wanted him to become more independent and learn some respect, which was obviously needed. So at the age of 18, they shipped his ass to America, off to Cedar Rapids, Iowa, with the Backer family in the spring of 1910. His parents would immigrate as well the following year and would Americanize their names, thus making his new name Herman Drenth. In the years after, while bouncing from state to state to state, he would use many aliases and commit various crimes. He was in trouble for car theft, stealing alcohol, setting someone's garage on fire, and other dumb shit. You would think that they would just lock him up and throw away the key at this point because he was in and out of jail so much. He also began to answer Lonely Hearts ads. Now, if you don't know what that is, it's a form of classified advertising. Back in this time period, people would do this to find romance, sex, and marriage, like a mail-order bride or mail-order groom. You would write up a little description about yourself, whether it be true or not, and send it in with the hopes of finding what you were looking for. 
He would answer these women who were looking for love usually, and he would meet them, steal their money, and he would split out of there. What a, what a dick, really. At age 32, in 1926, he answered a Lonely Hearts ad written by Luella Struthers. After writing each other for a while, Harry and Luella met and then married in 1927 in Maryland. And then they moved right here to West Virginia in a town called Quiet Dell near Clarksburg. Luella ran a grocery store with her sister, and from what I've read, he worked selling vacuums for a company called Eureka. But in other documentation, I found info that suggested that maybe he was a grocer at Luella's store, but I'm not 100% sure the timeline of his occupations. But Luella, she loved Harry. She would do anything for him. She was smitten. She was obsessed with this man. Harry, though, was not very interested in some of the things that Luella was eager to do. Sex, for example. Growing up, Harry wouldn't even associate with the opposite sex, let alone try to get freaky, you know. That went with him into adulthood. And I find this to be a little bit odd, just because he is he found Luella through a Lonely Hearts ad. So obviously he was also seeking out a woman. It's just, it's just odd. After getting married to Luella, Harry was putting out his own Lonely Hearts ads and posing as a widowed oil stock promoter. That dirty rat. What a poser. Postal records indicated that the letters from women were pouring in. I'm talking 10 to 20 letters a day. These women wanted Harry bad. They were on the prowl without even knowing him. A woman by the name of Asta Eicher, a widow with three children from Illinois, got to take her shot at love with Harry. But to her, he would be known as Cornelius O. Pearson. Where is Neve Shulman when you need him to catch a catfish? But she was kind of catfishing him as well. See, Asta's husband had passed and she did not manage their money very well. So she was broke. She needed Cornelius's money and didn't mention the fact that she didn't have any. Keep in mind, while he's communicating back and forth with Asta, during this love affair, it's the height of the Great Depression. A lot of people are strapped for cash and the both of them are looking to benefit from one another for the riches that they each think the other has. So another weird little thing about Luella and Harry, they didn't sleep in the same bed. They didn't even sleep in the same room, and this was not common for this time period. But because of this, she really had no idea that he was starting this new long-distance romance with Asta. And around this time, Harry began building a garage and basement at the home, which he shared with Luella. Oh, and she paid for it, proudly. Which, in an article that I read, it says that Luella paid $700 for this garage slash basement. In today's time, $700 is not going to get you very far. It's like pocket change. But back then, $700 was a pretty hefty lump sum. This garage slash basement would later be described as a torture chamber for those he viciously murdered. By June 22nd, 1931, Harry or Cornelius to Asta had made his way to Illinois into the Eicher home. Asta kept things pretty quiet when it came to this little love affair, 
But on June 25th, she asked Elizabeth Abernathy to babysit while she went on a romantic getaway with her new boo. Oh, how sweet. Now, she didn't tell Elizabeth where she was really going. She told her that she was going on a business trip. And I am kind of believing the vacuum business um, idea about Harry because he would also tell Luella that he was going on business trips when really he was going to meet other women. And if he was a grocer at her store, obviously she would know he's not taking a fucking business trip. What the hell? Days later, Elizabeth, the sitter, received a letter. And this letter was signed Asta Eicher. But it was not her handwriting. This letter stated that she sold the house and that Cornelius was coming back to pick up the kids and reunite them with their mother. The next night, he arrived at the house pretty late, so he just stayed the night. The following morning, he talked with all of the kids and promised all of these absolutely amazing things, like violin lessons in Russia, a pony, a car, a porcelain doll with shiny blue eyes for the youngest daughter. Like, everything that a young kid wants to hear, he was like, oh yes, daddy will take care of it. But Elizabeth, she knew that something was definitely up. She was very suspicious. So she tried to stall by saying the kids weren't dressed for a long trip, they weren't prepared, they weren't packed, blah, blah, blah. And Cornelius was pretty much like, ah, ah, nope, nope, I will buy clothes on the way. The suitcases will be just too much of a hassle, thank you. So they left. Before leaving town, Cornelius and the kids made one last stop, the bank. Cha-ching! Asta's oldest daughter, Greta, went inside with a letter supposedly from her mother, asking for her account balance. And the teller was pretty much like, um, no thank you, because they suspected forgery. Good call. It would later be revealed that Asta only had $4 in her bank account. Around the same time, Harry Powers was sending sweet love letters to another woman by the name of Dorothy Lemke from Massachusetts. This time, he was using a different alias, D.P. Lowther. He convinced her to marry him, and he said that he was living in Iowa, so that's where she was planning on going. But get this. If you think Luella was nuts for handing over this man $700, Dorothy was convinced to withdraw $4,000 from her account. Holy fuck. That's a lot of money for this time period. A little time passes and Dorothy's sister gets a letter. The letter says that the marriage didn't work out. She left Lowther because he was a shitbag and she's in Ohio just working this little small job, but she's okay. More time passes and another letter comes. This time, Dorothy says that she's going to travel the world. She's got shit to see, places to go, peace, don't worry about me. Dorothy's sister is suspicious immediately because this does not look like Dorothy's handwriting. Does that sound familiar? An investigation of the disappearance of the Eicher family had started and police inquired about her last known contact, Cornelius Pearson. Asta had left behind 27 letters from Cornelius Pearson, postmarked from Clarksburg, West Virginia. Not recognizing the name, city officials dispatched Detective Carl Southern to the local post office where it was discovered that a Cornelius Pearson had rented box 277. Southern followed that lead to the home of Harry Powers. 
Police waited outside the house for Harry to arrive, and he returned home around noon on August 27th. And this dirty bastard actually had five more letters addressed to five different women in his pockets. He was placed under arrest for manslaughter in the disappearance of Asta Eicher and her children, despite the lack of bodies or solid evidence. They were like, fuck you, we know you did it, taking you downtown. Additional information led police to a garage on a small farm Powers owned in Quiet Dell. Remember the one Luella paid for. With the help of neighbors, detectives broke into the garage and found bloody clothes and a small bloody footprint that looked like it may belong to a child. And under this garage was the basement that he built, and to get there, there was a trap door. So when you go under the garage into the basement, there are four rooms, and they had also found a noose, and it just... There was no reason to believe that there was not foul play down in this little torture dungeon. While admitting that the scene looked suspicious, Harry had no explanation. He was like, no, it wasn't me. How did that get there? You know, but a farmer had recently complained of a disgusting smell coming from Harry's property. And after a tip from a 15 year old boy saying, hey, I helped Harry dig a ditch a few days ago. Um, Maybe you should check there. The ditch was discovered, you know, beside the garage. On the afternoon of August 28th, investigators found what they were looking for. The badly decomposed bodies of Asta Eicher and her three children. Greta, 14, Harry, 12, and Annabelle, 9. The victim's hands had been bound with rope that matched the noose in the garage. An evidence and autopsy result showed that the two girls and their mother were strangled to death while the young boy's head was beaten in with a hammer. In an article I had read, um, it said that Harry was forced to watch his mother and sisters be hanged. And because he let out a loud scream and Harry wanted to keep him quiet, he beat him in the head with the hammer. Dorothy Lemke was the last victim uncovered. She had also been strangled, and she was found with a belt still wrapped around her neck. Love letters were found in the trunk of Harry's car, and he had written back to many, many women with the intention of stealing their money and killing them, just like Asta and Dorothy. This guy is a nut job. Following intense and lengthy questioning by police, Harry kept his innocence, although Prison guards said that he admitted deriving sexual pleasure from watching his victims die, commenting, it beat any cat house I was ever in. Ugh, that is disgusting. When he was questioned about the other small items found, likely belonging to other women that he had lured to his awful lair, his only words were, you've got me on five. What good could 50 more do? What a fucking psycho. All hell broke loose September 20th. Thousands of spectators surrounded the Harrison County Jail where Harry was being held and demanded that he be given to the mob. The fire department was forced to release tear gas to disperse the crowd. He was then moved to West Virginia State Penitentiary in Moundsville, and I've actually been here before, and if you ever get the chance, you should definitely go. It's very interesting. Lots of cool memorabilia to look at. His trial began on December 7th, and it lasted five days. People were 
everywhere. They were treating this trial like some sort of celebration or a festival. Cars lined the streets, watching and waiting. They actually had to move his trial a block away to Moore's Opera House due to the courtroom being so crowded. And in an article that I had read, Harry was pretty pissed about that. He said, you know, this is a place for entertainment and you're holding my trial here. Like he was mad that people were happy that he was going to, you know, be convicted. But buddy, you fucked up and people just want justice. So it only took the jury two hours to return their guilty verdict. And on December 12th, 1931, he was sentenced to death by hanging. On March 18, 1932, just a few months later, he was hanged and dangled for 11 minutes before being pronounced dead. Well, guys, that's all I have for today. I hope you enjoyed this story as much as me. I know it was a little bit short, but I just wanted to do something kind of small to dip my toes in the water and see how it went. Um, It was a challenge to find some information for this because, you know, back in the 1920s and 30s, Info and records weren't kept like they are now, obviously, but I did my best and I really enjoyed myself. I hope you did too. Also, I created a Facebook page, especially for this podcast. Just search for Murder in the Mountains and every week I will post some neat stuff to go along with whatever I'm talking about. So for old Mr. Power's story or Cornelius or D.P. Lowther or whatever the fuck his name is, I've posted his death certificate, photos of him, the crime scene, the prison, and a few more things. Um, I believe that this helps you better visualize the story whenever you get to see these things. So be sure to check that out, and I'll see you next week. Thank you. Thank you.